Hello, everyone, and welcome into Living Liberty Today. I'm your host, Charlie Earle. This is episode 15, and we're going to title this one The Post Post Mortem. Yes, we did the post mortem show after the election last weekend. Uh, it's still going on. In fact, right now, as we speak, uh, some states are recounting, validating, recanvassing, retaliating, well, or retaliating. I'm not sure which, but still, it goes on. The election that will not end goes on. So will we have a re-election when this is all over, or will we have a reinforcement or validation of the calling by the networks? That remains to be seen. By the way, you can listen to our podcast or go back and recover some of the older ones at our website. That's https colon backslash backslash free to be you, F-R-E-E, number two, the letters B and U dot buzzsprout dot com. Or you can pick us up on our Facebook page at Living Liberty Today or go to my site, Charlie Earl on LinkedIn and that's Earl, E-A-R-L, and you can also send me a note if you have any criticisms, comments, or requests at livinglibertytoday at protonmail.com. Okay, let's get right into our post-post-mortem. So, it has been an interesting election so far. As you know, there are all kinds of lawsuits flying around. I think I recall reading somewhere that there were up to 300 different lawsuits being filed. Some of them were prior to the election and some subsequent to Election Day, even though we know Election Day wasn't the end of the election, as some states allowed ballots to come in after Election Day. And that's that's not a, a, a total anomaly there. It has been a practice for a long time, particularly for overseas and military ballots, to allow a period of time for them to get back in. And I know there have been a lot of issues in the past with APO and timely delivery by the military from the offshore ballots, Um, but they still do require an Election Day postmark corresponding to when the, the voting Uh, theoretically stops on a state-by-state basis. So um, I think it's going to be a while. If you'll recall back in 2000, uh, it took 37 days for one state uh, to be resolved. There seem to be a number in play right now, five to seven or more. Who knows? uh, uh, Who knows where all they're counting and recounting and may find discrepancies or anomalies. So I suspect if we get this done in five weeks, it should be a victory party for everybody. Uh, The nation should sit down and have a beer. Okay, well, never mind. We got some other political things going on. I would remind you that the difference in administrations, if, if Vice President Biden were to be validated and elected and certified versus if President Trump were to be declared re-elected, you're going to have a really two stark areas, I think, where there's going to be a massive difference between the two. And one, I would say, clearly is energy policy. That goes into the whole 
aspect of the climate change and how we do and deal with that going forward. Uh, and the president, as you know, the current president, President Trump, encourages a drill, drill, drill attitude. And as a result, we do have cheaper fossil fuel energy prices than we've had in a long time. On the other hand, the Biden administration appears to be favoring more of the sustainable energy, renewable energy things going forward. So, um, and there almost appears to be a hostility there towards fossil fuels. I'm not sure that's correct. I think maybe it's been the hostility has been overplayed. Nevertheless, I think you can see policies that gradually reduce our reliance on fossil fuel energies and so forth and go into the areas of more wind and more solar. Um, I, I'm, I'm, I've got personal feelings about that, but that's something if you're looking for a way to make some money or to start an enterprise, you may wait till this election is certified and then decide uh, where to look for your opportunities. The other area I think is the approach to the COVID-19 issue. The President Trump clearly wants the nation to open up. He wants more people to get back to work, to start uh, providing incomes and and having job growth and so forth uh, to to spur the economy forward. On the other hand, I see a, 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 I sense a reluctance on the part of the Biden people uh, to do that. They've even, some of the advisors and so forth have even spoken of maybe a six to eight week lockdown. Certainly they've openly discussed perhaps a, a mask mandate. I'm not sure how you do that on a national level. A, I don't know how you enforce it. And B, I don't know how you survive a constitutional uh, examination of that. But still, they're, they're looking at that in that regard. I, when a potential advisor talks about a six to eight week lockdown, I'd still take that with a grain of salt. But nevertheless, I would let it tickle in the back of the brain so that if you see the signs going that way, you can take advantage of it economically speaking and put yourself in a better position to overcome it if it should happen. I've got an article. Uh, as I've told you before, I have several areas and websites and so forth I read on a regular or semi-regular basis. And I have an article now from the American Institute for Economic Research. Uh, their uh, website is uh, www.aier.org. A-I-E-R the American Institute for Economic Research, .org, if you will. And this article is from November 9th, and it's by Art Carden, C-A-R-D-E-N, Art Carden, and it's called Let a Billion Preferences Bloom. And I thought it really hit the nail on the head about how an economic environment should function. And he said if and I'm going to quote him now, if you want to appreciate the stark differences between a commercial society and a political society, he said, look no further than Halloween, the recent election, or the social media feeds that you're keeping tab on. And then he went on to describe, I'm going to paraphrase it here, but give you an example. 
He went on to describe candy corn as a Halloween candy. He said most people, including him, are not real fans of candy corn. In fact, they're downright disgusted if they would to get it in their goodie bag. But he says somebody out there likes it. And I can attest to that. In my household, I'm not a candy corn fan. But my wife loves the stuff. Same way with those maple-covered nuts. She loves those, too. Uh, I'm not crazy about either one of those. Uh, they don't really turn my crank, uh, do a lot of excitement for him. In fact, Art goes on to describe using high-fructose corn syrup to create an artificial candy that looks like corn. just doesn't seem right to him. But, but his premise is a valid one and a real one variation and and the diversity at the marketplace are critical in an open capitalistic oriented free market society and that even the most obnoxious product assuming it's uh legal ethical and moral even the most obnoxious product is going to find a niche or a niche if you will and so that if you find you've got an idea, or you've got something that may not be broadly appealing to the masses, but you know there's a significant portion or even a small portion of the society that may find it appealing and may be willing to examine it, try it, or use it. Well, don't be afraid. If Just because you can't sell it to 200 million people in the United States doesn't mean a market share of 3 million people is a bad thing. If you price your product accordingly so that you can turn a profit and, you know, if you can produce it at a, at a rate and market it at a level where these three million people can discover your product. So don't let the size of the market discourage you. Just find a way to access and capitalize on that market and then find a way to profitably enter that market. And so... I would encourage you to read this, Let a Billion Preferences Bloom by Art Carden, uh, and it's at the uh, AIER.org website, and it's from November 9th, so I'd encourage you to read that. He's, a, he's, a, a, he's really a clever writer, but at the same time, uh, introduces, not introduces, but reinforces some profound theories about how the market should and could work. So, um, and, and that's one of the sites I go to on a rather frequent basis. Uh, not every day, not all the time. So I'm going to give you my own example, how it relates to candy corn and, and, and arts idea. I use the dandelion as an example. You know, for many, and particularly since I left the the full-time farm and went into urban and suburban living, dandelions have become the enemy. Uh, They are weeds, and we do what we can to get rid of them. Now, I don't use uh, heavy-duty pesticides or anything like that anymore, but at one time, I was obsessive about dandelions going to my lawn, you know. But have you ever met a three-year-old? who would just run out there in a dandelion and say, pretty flower, pretty flower, and want to pick it and share it with you or with with their parents or with whomever. They see it from a totally different perspective than maybe the rest of us do who are annoyed by them. My great-grandmother and grandmother 
love dandelions because they made the kids go out and harvest them so that they could make dandelion wine. Now, I assure you, strictly for medicinal purposes, but nevertheless, they made some uh, pretty powerful dandelion wine. And and I remember that stuff would be sort of an amber when they made it. And maybe uh, two, three, or four years later, it looked like white lightning. So, uh, so the dandelion depends on your point of view. Again, that's a small niche. Not everybody makes or likes dandelion wine. Not everybody thinks dandelions are pretty flowers, but some do. And some enjoy them. So that's why don't let the bigness of the market or the array of the market scare you. Find that niche, find that niche for you, and then find a way to exploit it and take advantage of it. And I'll give you one final example as long as we're into botanical uh, elements right here. You know, even thistles have blooms. Um, I can remember back on the farm in the day when I used to have to go back in the back pasture field with a sharpened shovel and a hoe and cut down both thistles. Well, some of them had blossoms on them, and they were pretty. They were. They, You know, the bees liked them. Uh, they enjoyed them. But when I would chop those suckers with that pointed, sharpened shovel, uh, I had to scurry out of the way because in some cases they were taller than I was. But nevertheless, they had an element of beauty to them. They just were destructive in a pasture field and, and not useful at all. So even the worst things have blossoms. Your key is if you've got a niche of an idea, an idea you think may go, but the market isn't all that big, find the blossoms. Go for the blossoms. Work that way and do it that way. In fact, that's probably a good idea no matter what aspect of life, whether it be economic, personal, relationship, or communal, whatever element of life we're in, look for the blossoms. Enjoy the pretty flowers. Don't ignore the odd one. You know, it might have some benefit to somebody and be useful to someone else. And so maybe just keeping our eyes open and being aware of the opportunities around us is a way to go. Well, that's our post, post-mortem for today. We hope we can have more definitive things for you the next time we get together. But until then, have yourself a good day. Be free and stay free. I'm Charlie Earle.